So good afternoon, everyone. Um, I, uh, I've titled this message Devoted. And uh, as I was compiling it, I started to think, wow, what, what did the early church look like? You know, and if we obviously want to get a picture, uh, the best place to go to is the Bible. So, um, and most particularly the book of Acts. Now, it's interesting, Acts is written by a physician, a doctor called Luke, who we know also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, and he says at the beginning, he says, I'm writing to you, dear Theophilus. So he's um, sending a message, he's writing a story about what he witnessed that happened in the early church to give him an idea of how things unfolded. And uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, he talks about how uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and the two angels and said, what well, you know, he left, he'll come back the same way. And, uh, and then, of course, they, told, they go to Jerusalem. Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait there for the gift that he would, he would give them. So they go to Jerusalem, they're in this room, they decide that because Judas is no longer with them, they need to replace him. So they pick two men and they cast lots and Matthias is selected then to become the 12th disciple replacing Judas. Um, but I can only imagine that they, they must have been so totally confused. Think about it. They walked with this man Jesus for three years. He did incredible miracles in their midst. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. He cast out demons. He preached. And then he said things like he's going to destroy the temple in three days and the temple is still there. Then uh, he died on a cross and they scattered and then he rose from the dead and he appeared to all of them and, and many others and... Um, you know, they were waiting for the Romans to be overthrown. It must have, they must have been completely confused. And then he ascends into heaven in front of them, disappears. And um, now they're waiting. Like, what is going, can you just imagine how confused they must have been? And um, so they're waiting. And then Acts 2, chapter 2 talks about the day of Pentecost. And uh, how the Holy Spirit came, a strong wind, and settled on them with like tongues of fire um, and filled them uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, the, the, the chapter 2 describes how Jerusalem is filled with Jews from all different nations speaking different languages. And as the uh, disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, so they were speaking in these foreign languages, these foreign tongues. And they could be understood. And then uh, Peter gets up and preaches, you know, one of his greatest preachers. Um, and explains to them that, you know, you're the guys that, uh, you know, this Jesus, this is the man that the prophets spoke of. And then you killed him and then he rose from the dead and, and, uh, and so forth. And the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. Like suddenly their eyes were opened. And they saw the guilt of what they'd done. And uh, they said, what must we do? And he said, you know, repent and be baptized. And then Acts 2.41 says then, and those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people got saved in a moment. Oh, my hat. Can you imagine if 300 people got saved today in a meeting? Or even 30 people 
3,000 in an instant. And there's almost a, a break between X241 and X242. Because 3,000 got saved and then Luke carries on writing and, he, and, he, and, he, um, and he's describing then what the early church looked like. And what we've got to remember in those days, there were no church buildings. They didn't exist. The church didn't exist. It only just like officially started. Um, Acts talks about them meeting at Solomon's Colonnade, which was next to the temple, a, a big open area. Um, and um, but they they typically didn't have buildings to meet in. Um, Acts five verse twelve says that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's Colonnade. And Acts five forty two says day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. That Jesus is the Christ. So we, we see then the church, where did it meet? Solomon's Colonnade. That's in Jerusalem. And not every town had a Solomon's Colonnade. Um, but that they actually met in each other's houses. And in Colossians 4 verse 15, Paul writes at the end of his letter and he's giving his greetings. He says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha. And the church in her house. So we see the early church formed where? In people's homes. So the first thing is there were no official buildings, church buildings. And secondly, there were no Bibles. This wonderful book that we have today, well, compilation of books, 66 books compiled into something called the Bible. The Jews had the Old Testament called the Tanakh or the Torah. Um, but many of the New Testament letters hadn't even been written. The Gospels were in the process of being, well, in fact, they hadn't been written. These were accounts written shortly after the time of Jesus. But certainly the letter, Paul hadn't even come onto the scene yet as Paul. He was still to become the, uh, the, 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 the Christian crucifier, the Christian persecutor. So certainly there were no letters. Um, so the, the Old Testament Certainly the Jews would have known of, but um, most certainly the Gentiles had no frame of reference. And yet, the good news was preached. What was the good news? The good news was that the Christ that had been spoken of in the Old Testament by the prophets had come to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. So Luke then, so Luke says in Acts 2.41, 3,000 got saved. And then he goes on to describe the church in Acts 2.42 to 47. And I want to start, if I, might, if I may, a little cheekily, at Acts 2.47. And he says, and it says this, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that the sum total of everything we want to see happen is that we would live in a way that pleases God enough that he would add to our numbers. Now I'm not advocating that church is all about numbers. It's not about mega churches. It's not about having tens or twenties or thirty thousand people at all. It's about living in a way that pleases the Lord 
so that he sees fit to add numbers daily, those that are being saved. These, this early church, they were living a type of family Christianity that pleased God enough to add to their numbers. And, and this is really the core, the heart of how we should do what we were doing. And if this was the result of what they were doing, oh, surely we want to live in the same way. Now, I want to just add a disclaimer here before I continue. The gospel message in its entirety incorporates many different aspects. The gospel, the, the way of Christian living is never simplified to just one or two or three things. Okay, um, So for example, if, if I were to say there were 50 different aspects that make up the way we live, proper Christian living, and let's say they include things like number one, repentance, number two, forgiveness, number three, loving one another, number four, caring for one another, number five, worshipping, preaching, studying the word, etc., etc. There's a whole host of things. I'm not saying it's limited to 50, but let's just say for the sake of the conversation that there were 50 things. If we only emphasized 45 of those things, we wouldn't be teaching the whole gospel. And if we found after some time that we were neglecting five and now we overemphasize just the five and we ignored the other 45, again, we would be teaching a un, uh, an incorrectly weighted gospel. The entire gospel message is made up of the entirety of things that the Bible teaches. So we can never limit it. So I'm sharing an aspect but a very fundamental, a foundational aspect of Christian living. And we see this in the early church. So what does the Bible say? Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves. Stop. They devoted. That word, devoted, is such a pivotal key word. Why? Well, what does devoted mean? Devoted means giving all or most of one's time or resources to a person or activity, giving all or most of one's time. See now, if you're a, if you're a serious sports person, you give your if you want to be fit, you have to devote your time to being fit and staying fit. You're not going to be fit by mistake. Am I right? I got a friend who uh, cycled the Epic Cape Epic for a couple of years. And for those of you that don't know, it's a seven-day cycle race. I think it's from Cape Town to Nyasen or something like that. And you're doing anything between 100 and 150 day kilometers a day for seven days off-road. And it's not flat. Now, the type of training that it takes to prepare yourself for that race is every morning up at 4 o'clock, Cycling for two hours, every night for two hours, every Saturday, six, seven hours, every Sunday. I tell you what, if you're not working or cycling, you're sleeping. It's that grueling. And if you're married, it takes a huge toll. It's a commitment from you and it's a sacrifice from your family because they just don't see you. And that's not even to win the race. That's just to finish the race. But that's what devotion takes. And without devotion, you're not even going to finish the race. In Hebrews uh, 12 verse 1, 
the writer writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, or total devotion, my addition, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So devotion is the key ingredient that the believers committed to. They devoted themselves. Now it says, to what? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there were no churches. It was only a little bit later that they appointed apostles, elders at every church. Um, but they were hungry. They were desperate to hear what it is the apostles had to teach. And I'm quite sure that when an apostle came to town for two weeks, and uh, he was in the temple courts every night, or in, the, in, in Solomon's, uh, they would have been there. And I'm telling you, if they, if, he was, if they knew he was going house to house, they would have followed him house to house. And even though the house can only take 20 or 30 people, they would have been in the windows, on the roof, in the ceiling, outside the door, because they were devoted, they were desperate to hear the apostles' teaching. Now, people like me and uh, Dimitri, um, Job, Patrick, other elders, and we may not be gifted, Ephesians gifted to be apostles. But we, like many of you, we spend time delving into the Word, asking God prayerfully what He wants His people to hear. And then we build and share messages that we believe God wants to share with you. And just as the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, we would ask you to be devoted when we come together to hear what it is that we want to share. Hebrews 10.25 says, the NIV version says, not giving up meeting together. The New King James says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The ESV says, not neglecting to meet together. You see, they saw that as a key um, um, uh, pillar. If there was a coming together of the saints, Sunday or any other day, they were committed, they were devoted to get to that because they didn't want to miss out. Then Acts 2.42 goes on to say, to say what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Well, what is fellowship? So fellowshipping is hanging out together. It's being together. And there's lots of social clubs that you can join that are just about social fellowship. You can join book clubs, uh, if they even exist today anymore. You can watch rugby together with your mates. Uh, you can join a cycling club or a hiking club. But the problem is, Here's the problem. If it's a social club, that's not Jesus-focused. It's just a social club. And Jesus was clear. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. See, Christian fellowship is associating with people who share your Christian interests. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says we must not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
Now, we're not called to live separate from the world. We're not called to cocoon ourselves and have nothing to do with the world. Actually, quite the opposite. We're called to be the light to and the light of the world, attracting an unrighteous world to a righteous God. <coughs> but there is something supernaturally powerful about hanging out with fellow Christian believers. When you mention a need, someone prays for you. When you've got a problem, someone encourages you or helps you. Someone might phone you the next day or send you a message. Hey, you mentioned yesterday this was wrong or you were battling. I was just thinking about you praying for you. How's it going? Doesn't that build your faith? So we don't want to be separated from the world. But there is a strength. There is a growing, there's a unity that happens when we hang out with fellow Christian believers. And what we also have to be very careful is we don't want to let home group. We, you call it home group, we call it communities. It's not a box ticking exercise. I don't go to home group on a Wednesday because that's what's expected of me. No, then you've missed the point. The point of home group on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And we don't have to sit around. Um, um, it, it's, not about, it's not an AA meeting. It's fellowship. So we don't do it to tick a box. We do it out of a hunger and a devotion to be with fellow believers. And when there's a good vibe there, doesn't that just encourage you to only invite someone? Like, hey, why don't you come and hang out with us on Friday night? We're getting together at his house and we're going we're gonna to break bread and have pizzas and what have you. And come and join us, man. You know? Why? Because it's a safe place. And then as you share something, maybe we get to pray with you. There's a knitting of hearts that happens. And it shouldn't be limited to one night a week. But rather become a lifestyle of living together. Acts 2.42 goes on to say that they devoted themselves to breaking of bread. Now I know you as a church traditionally break bread every week. It's brilliant. Jesus said very clearly on the night he was betrayed, do this in memory of me. But it speaks quite clearly that Jesus actually broke bread. So even though we do wafers and we do juice, as the significance of his body and his blood, don't limit it to the official picture of it needs to be wafers and juice. No. You break bread together. Jesus said do this in memory. When you're having a meal together and you break bread and you share it out. When you take a moment to remember this was Christ on the night that he was betrayed. He broke bread because he knew he was going to the cross. Jesus we remember you. That's, what, that's actually what we call to do. And do it as often as possible. And then they devoted themselves to the, apostles, uh, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and then to prayer. Oh man, there are hundreds of references in the Bible to prayer. And there are some scary references. Also, uh, I came across, uh, I, was just, I just flicked through a few, um, where there's, a, there's a, a verse in Jeremiah where God says to Jeremiah, don't pray for the people. I don't want to hear. In other words, don't tickle my ears by asking 
for me to do what I to not to do what I want to do. In other words, uh, uh, don't, don't speak to me. Uh, no, no. I need to punish these people because they've been disobedient and they've been rebellious and they're not listening. And, and don't pray for them. Wow. Wow. I, I never want to be in the receiving end of that, you know. I never want heaven not to be there to, to or not to hear my prayers. But um, so many times in throughout uh, Jesus, you know, withdrawing the disciples, couldn't find him half the time, you know. Where is he? He's gone to a solitary place to pray. Jesus commands us, pray for your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Paul, Paul often writes, you know, I'm praying for you or pray for us or pray for your leaders or pray for the authorities that are over you. He, just time and time again, the power of prayer. And um, so we, we, we've got to exercise that muscle. And, uh, and remember that not a prayer is wasted. So let me give you this perspective. They've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And there's this, this um, aspect that the apostles' teaching was learning and listening to those apostles and elders about God and His ways. So there's a receiving, right? Then breaking of bread and fellowship all have to do with what? Communion with believers. We break bread together. We celebrate and we fellowship together. We strengthen one another when we're together. We support and we encourage brothers and sisters in Christ when we're together. Through the breaking of bread and through fellowship. But prayer is the alone method of being intimate with God. And Jesus says in Matthew 6.6, 6, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And, you know, outside of this verse, you know, you read, don't, don't go stand. Yes, you can stand on the, and you can have a prayer group in church and, you know, use wonderful words and what have you, what have you. But Jesus is saying, he's encouraging us. Go into your quiet room. Go into that quiet place and go pray that your father would hear you. So fast forward 2,000 years. We've got wonderful churches, wonderful buildings, churches, wonderful buildings today called churches where we can meet. Hey, they've got all the facilities. We've got kids' rooms, we've got prayer rooms, we've got coffee shop, we've got, and it's wonderful. And we have this Word of God neatly packaged in one book, 66 books together in one book called the Bible. And we have incredible access to resources. We've got to be careful what we go and search and read on the internet. It's not always that good, but you can go search, you can go read, you can read other people's um, uh, um, explanations and understanding and test it against the word, whether you agree with it or not. But the early church didn't have any of this. And yet God added to their number daily those that were being saved. So if we move on from what they devoted themselves to, Acts 2.42, and in 2.43, the Bible says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They met together daily. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, these are the foundations of what? The early church. This is how the early church started. In Acts 2.41 Luke describes how 3,000 got saved, and then in, Luke, in Acts 2.42 he's saying, and the early church grew. Why? Because they devoted themselves to these things, and God added to their number daily. So I want to ask you today, would you, would you embrace these values as like core values, so that we can reflect something of early church Christianity? And as I said in my disclaimer, it's not limited to these things. But these really form a foundation of church living. And um, to gather together to hear teaching when there's teaching. To break bread together in our homes, there and then, remembering what Jesus did for us. And then fellowshipping with one another, not just when we ask to do so, but finding opportunities during the week. Hey, why don't you come over to my house? Let's just have a meal together and, and, um, and remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. We must be careful that it's not just always a social. We want it to be a Christ-centered get-together. So that God is there with us when we get together. And then, of course, prayer, intimate prayer, seeking the Lord's presence and listening for his voice. So I would ask you today, would you embrace those values? Say yes. Say yes, Lord. I, I want to live a life that shows uh, the goodness of who you are to others. I want to embrace these values as a, as a kind of a lifestyle so that, Lord, maybe through me you would add to our numbers daily. So I want to pray. Father God, what a, what a glorious picture we see of the birth of the church and the growth of the church. And we might think, well, what can I do on my own? I'm not, I'm not going to make such a big difference. But Jesus, you trained up 12 men. And, and, and one, you lost. And, then, and he was replaced. And those 12 men just preached because they were, well, one of them preached because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And on that day, by you, by your work in the hearts of 3,000 people, they got saved. It's the power of what you do, Lord. But we want to be a people that's obedient, Lord. And if you grew the early church through their obedience, Lord, then we want to be a church that's obedient so that you would grow us too, Lord. But not for our sake, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of we have been saved and we want to see people around us getting saved too. So, Father God, help us in this. Stir up our faith and our obedience, Lord, and our love for you and our love for one another. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.